Praise the Lord. Good to see everybody. How many of you would rather be here than in the hospital? Woo! Amen. I've told you that before. I, one time I said, how many of you would rather be here than in jail? And this woman jumped up on the front row. She started dancing. She said, man, I just got out of jail. I said, well, praise God. Glad to have you. Amen. So this morning, uh, we're going to have a good time. And all week, I'm going to stay as long as I can until uh, I have to get back for another set of meetings. But uh, uh, maybe uh, if you can tonight, come back. That'll be a little more on the wild side. Uh, going to have a good time in the presence of God. So you come on back out, get your cup full tonight. Uh, but we have a specific direction that uh, we were led in this morning, and we want to minister along those lines. We've got a, uh, a, a, I used to say a book table, but there's no books out there. Really, it's uh, more uh, CDs, and of course, those are becoming extinct. So I'm trying to clear out all the uh, inventory. So go out there. I got a special on. We've got music. We've got teaching. And I got five, any five CDs for 20 bucks. All right? So help a brother out. Uh, let's get this cleared out. And man, you'll be blessed. It'll help the ministry, and it'll be a blessing to all of us. All right? Well, how many of you got your Bibles? Wave them, make the devil mad, or your device, whatever it is. Amen. Listen, I, it's, it's my pleasure to be with you this week, this morning. I, I simply want to bring a word of encouragement this morning to you as a member of the body of Christ. Uh, you know, that's who we are, isn't it? We're the body of Christ. We're the church. We're the family of God. And we are a very powerful, uh, preserving, and sustaining presence uh, in the earth. As a matter of fact, in 1 John chapter uh, 1 and verse 17, or 4 and 17, uh, the Bible says, as he, Jesus, is, so are we in this world. So that means quite naturally that we are fearless, we are unconquerable, we are unmovable, we are victorious in him. And as the scripture says in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, we are persuaded that he is able to keep everything that we've placed into his hands safe and secure until he comes, amen, committed unto him until his glorious appearing. So this morning, I just want you to rest assured this is a faith conference. I want you to rest assured that in the midst of all that is unfolding in this world, you are safe in the arms of God. God said in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, he said, listen, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with the right hand or with my righteous right hand. Can you say amen? That should give you a sense of confidence this morning. And then again in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 25, the Bible says that the wicked are blown away by every stormy wind. But when a catastrophe comes, the lovers of God have a secure anchor. You know, I've been here many times through the years. And there's one thing I know. I know that you are a people of faith. And I know that you are a household of faith. And you know, friends, now is the time where the world needs the faith that we have and that we hold. And so Jesus, speaking on uh, the subject of faith, this morning at the Holy Spirit's uh, direction, I just want to put you in remembrance of some things uh, that you know. 
I want to encourage you to hold fast to the truths that you've received right here from this pulpit taught uh, from the Word of God. And I want to encourage you to maintain now in this time and in this season a very strong sense of faith and confidence in God. Because quite frankly, we're going to need it. Uh, not in a fearful way, but uh, things are culminating. They're accelerating. And that is not a fearful thing for the Christian. That should be a very exciting thing for you and I to realize that our redemption is drawing nigh. But Jesus, teaching on the subject of faith in Mark chapter 11, 22, he begins with these very simple words, have faith in God. Uh, the modern English translation says, take hold of God's faithfulness. Let your heart find its place of peace and rest and confidence in Him. Amen? So, you know, the New Testament word faith is from the Greek word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. And it simply means to put your trust uh, in a person or a thing. So quite naturally, as a Christian, our trust is in the person of God. In the Old Testament, they use the word trust. In the New Testament, we primarily use the word faith. Like the psalmist said in Psalm chapter 5, verses 10 and 12 or 11 and 12, he said, let all those who put their trust in you do what? Rejoice. Uh, let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let them also that love your name be joyful in you because you, Lord, def will defend the righteous. You'll bless the righteous. And you will surround them with favor as with a shield. So in the New Testament, we might say, let all those that put their faith in you rejoice. You know, one of the most significant and defining aspects of our religion, Christianity, uh, from all the other religions of the world, is that our religion is not based exclusively upon principle or code or methodology, although that is involved. But our religion is based uh, upon a relationship with a living person, God Almighty through His Son, Jesus the Christ. So as a Christian, it's not merely... Uh, what I believe, although that is important, but equally important is who I believe in. So, you know, sometimes our focus in life, our perspectives in life, our preoccupations in life can become misdirected because of all the negativities, all the potential uncertainties that are unfolding presently in this world because of the multiplicity of voices, and we can forget who we are. And I think equally important, whose we are. We need to remind ourselves continually uh, of our place of our position as the church in the earth, and we need to remind ourselves continually to whom we belong. So Jesus said, have faith in God. Trust Him. Quite naturally, you know, it's impossible to put any strong degree of trust or confidence in a person that you do not know. That's why we say Bible knowledge is critical to faith. 
because it unfolds a revelation of the one that we're trusting. So this morning, I just want to review a few aspects of God's nature, his person, his character, so that you remember just who he is, what you mean to him, and how passionately devoted he is to your well-being. And why now in this time you can have absolute faith and confidence in Him. You know, in theology, uh, we ascribe certain terms to God. We say that He is omnipotent, which means He's all-powerful. We say He's omniscient, which means He's all-knowing. We say that He is omnipresent, which means He's everywhere at all times, and certainly these are attributes of His person. But what I want you to realize this morning that God at the core of His being, as far as you and I are concerned, He is a Father, and He loves His children very much. What qualifies an individual uh, to be a child of God? Aren't you glad the Bible tells us? 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, to be born of someone means that you are brought forth in their nature and their likeness. Right? That's why 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4 says to us, You, speaking of us who have believed Jesus is the Christ, you are of God, little children. And you've overcome the agents of Antichrist because greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. So you are what? You're of God. You've been born of him. You are of righteousness. You are of peace. You are of joy. You are of ability. You are of wisdom. You are of strength. You are of light. You are of life. You are of God. And 1 John 5 and 4 says, Whatsoever is born of God overcomes this world. That's your classification this morning. Child of God and overcomer. So as a believer, it's not merely, once again, what I believe, but who I believe in. And as a believer, we've been given the rights of sonship. I love Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. It says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba is an affectionate term in the Greek, meaning Papa or Daddy. Wherefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So that is our classification. We are now sons and daughters of Almighty God. I don't think sometimes that people understand the degree and the depth of the love and the devotion that God has toward his people. Do you remember in first, uh, 2 Corinthians excuse me, chapter 6, uh, verse 18, the latter part of verse uh, 16, and then the total uh, verse 18, notice what God said. He said, listen, and listen to the passion uh, from which he prophesied through the Old Testament prophets, which is being rehearsed here. He said, I will walk in them. 
I'll dwell in them. I'll walk among them. I'll be their God. They will be my people. Notice verse 18. I will be a father unto you. And you will be my sons and my daughters, saith the Almighty. Woo! God wasn't satisfied residing in Solomon's temple or Moses' tabernacle. Man, he was looking for the day when he could take up residence in your heart and mine, a living, breathing, moving temple, a regenerated son and daughter of Almighty God. And man... What a glorious blessing. This is the God we're trusting. Are you listening? He's not an austere or remote personality. He is not merely the great mind of the cosmos, as some refer to him, although he certainly is. (laughs) But for you and for me, he is a loving, compassionate, and caring Heavenly Father, that's the relationship that we share. And what an honor, man, to be in relationship with Almighty God and to know that He loves you with an everlasting love. Everybody say, God's my Father, and He loves me. You know, as a child, you instinctively trust your parents, unless, of course, through time they prove themselves to be untrustworthy. But as a child, it's instinctive within the heart of a child to trust his parent. The same reality holds true in the heart of a believer. It is instinctive within the heart of every Christian to trust their heavenly Father. But understanding who he is, the position he holds, the relationship that you share with him, provides a stronger foundation for that faith and for that trust. That's why we're talking about that uh, this morning. So in Revelation chapter 4, just looking at, first of all, we understand the relationship. He's our father, we're his child. But what is his position? Just who is he? Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, gives us a very glimpse into the, uh, a vivid glimpse into the power and the position that our Heavenly Father occupies. Notice this is in the Passion Translation. This is, of course, John the Apostle uh, being caught up into heaven and he sees uh, these things that he's about to reveal to you and I. Then suddenly, after I wrote down these messages, I saw a heavenly portal open before me. And the same trumpet voice I heard speaking with me at the beginning broke the silence and said, Ascend into this realm. I want to reveal to you what must happen after this. Instantly, I was taken into the spirit realm, and behold, I saw a heavenly throne set in place and someone seated upon it. His appearance was sparkling like crystal and glowing like a carnelian gemstone. Surrounding the throne was a circle of green light like an emerald rainbow. Encircling the great throne were 24 thrones with elders in glistening white garments seated upon them, each wearing a golden crown of victory. And pulsing from the throne were blinding flashes of lightning, crashes of thunder and voices, and burning before the throne are seven blazing torches which represent the seven spirits of God. 
And in front of the throne, there was pavement like a crystal sea of glass around the throne. And on each side stood four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature resembled a lion, the second an ox, the third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of the four living creatures had six wings, full of eyes all around and under their wings. Heaven is going to blow your mind. I mean, there's things there you've never seen, never conceived, never thought of. And notice they worshiped without ceasing, day and night, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the was, the is, and the coming. And whenever the living creatures gave glory, honor, and thanks to the one who is enthroned and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell face down before the one seated on the throne, and they worshiped the one who lives forever and ever. And they surround, surrendered their crowns before the throne, singing, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your plan they were created and they exist. Wow! Listen, heaven is a real place. God's throne is there. He is the supreme ruler of this universe. He's absolute in power, authority, ability. And I'm not talking about Star Wars. I'm talking about reality. The psalmist said in Psalm 103 in verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven. And notice... His kingdom rules over all. All means all. Isaiah 44 and verse 6. The scripture says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, which means the commander of angel armies, I am the first. I am the last. And beside me there is no there is none above him there is none before him there is none beside him psalm 86 and verse 10 the psalmist said lord you are the one and only god what miracles what wonders what greatness belong to you Hallelujah. But Brother Marty, what about all the ungodliness that's arising in our nation and around the world and all the events that that are unfolding? What are we going to do? Don't worry your pretty little head about it. He's got it. He's in Ultimate, and I use that word specifically, ultimately control. (laughs) I'm telling you right now, you've got to keep God's perspective. You've got to understand who you're in relationship with and who you are in the earth as the body of Christ. Man, you want to hear God's perspective? 
Psalm chapter 2. And look, this morning, I'm just letting the Scripture speak for itself because it's well able to. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, and also 10 through 12. This is God's perspective. How dare the nations plan a rebellion? Their foolish plots are futile. Look how the power brokers of the world rise up to hold their summit as the rulers scheme and confer together against Yahweh and his anointed king saying, let's come together. Let's break away from the creator. Once and for all, let's cast off these controlling chains of God and his Christ. God enthroned merely laughs at them. The sovereign one mocks their madness. Verse 10, listen to me, all you rebel kings and upstart judges of the earth. Learn your lesson while there's still time. Serve and worship the awe-inspiring God. Recognize His greatness and bow before Him, trembling with reverence in His presence. Fall face downward before Him and kiss the Son before His anger is roused against you. God is a merciful God, as we'll see in a moment. But friends, there's, we're in the dispensation of grace. But when that thing turns over, God help those who are stiff-necked, rebellious, resistant of the love and the mercy and the salvation of God. Woo! I'm just reading the Bible. Fall face downward, kiss the sun before his anger is roused against you. Remember that his wrath can be quickly kindled, but this is us. But many blessings are waiting for all those who turn aside to hide themselves in him. That's us. Whew. If there ever was a time to make sure you're on the right team, it's now. And I'm not talking about a political party. I'm talking about the God team. The Jesus team. Amen. The righteous team. <laughs> Whoa. I'm talking about putting your trust in God this morning. Having faith in, in him by understanding the relationship that we share. By understanding the position that he holds. And by understanding uh, his power, his authority, his dominion. Who is he? He's your father. He's the supreme ruler of the universe. He's absolute in power, position, authority, and dominion. And I want you to keep this in mind as well. He is abundant in resources. Because no matter what may unfold in the, in the months or the years ahead, economically, stock market, naturally, whatever it may be, God can take care of you. God can take care of me. Psalm 24 and verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Bath translation says, The earth is the Lord's with all of its wealth. And the Moffat's translation says, The earth belongs to the Eternal One and all that the earth holds. That's comforting, isn't it? I like Psalm 50. Psalm 50, verse 10 through 12, God is prophesying through uh, Asaph. And notice what he said. This is kind of, kind of cute, kind of funny. He said, look, every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. 
I know all the birds of the mountains, the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. The world is mine and all its fullness. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 8, God said, The gold, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. The point is, friends, God has abundant resources at his disposal. And he knows how to get it to his kids when we ask in faith and we tell we're, we're trusting you and we're looking to you. Amen? He can help us. He, you think he can pay your rent when he owns a cattle on a thousand hills? Yeah, he can. Absolutely can. So, now, I want to give you a few other aspects of his person. Why are you talking about all these elementary things? Because it's very important now in this time that you have a solid foundation, not only in what you believe, but who you believe in. God is your father. He is, and I'll say it again because it's one of the laws of the learner, repetition. He is the supreme ruler of this universe. He has absolute power, dominion, and authority. He has unlimited resources and ability. That's the Father. That's the God you're in covenant with and the one you're trusting. Right? Now, let's look at a few other aspects of his nature this morning. The first thing, as you well know, but it bears repeating, God, as your Father, is good. God is good. You might need to write that down. It is an essential quality of his person and his character. How do you know God's good? Because the Bible tells me so. And I've experienced it. Psalm 34 and verse 8, what does it say? Oh, taste and see. The Lord is good. And guess what? Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman who puts their trust in him. Psalm 119 and 68, the psalmist said, you are good, and guess what? You do good. Teach me your statutes. Nahum chapter 1 and verse 7, the Lord is, somebody tell me, the Lord is good. He is a stronghold in the day of trouble. He's not the cause of your trouble. He's a stronghold in the midst of your trouble. And guess what? He knows those who put their trust in him. Ooh, what about the New Testament? Psalm chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Do not err. Do not make uh, 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 an error in your judgment of God. Every good, every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I can't tell you how imperative it is that you believe and that you know that God is good and he does good. Amen. He's always the answer. He's never the problem. He's always the antidote. He's never the poison. You'd be amazed at how many people are confused on this issue, even Christians. They think God is the source of their sorrow, their trial, their tribulation. We understand we live in a world that is broken, a world that is in a degenerative state. Jesus said in John 16, 33, look, in this world presently, yeah, you're going to have some stuff to deal with because it's broken. But 
be of good cheer. Why? Because I've overcome. And I've made you an overcomer. Now listen, I know there are people in here uh, just like me. Times in life where maybe you've prayed a prayer. You've asked for something. You believe for something to the best of your ability. And man, it just didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. We've all been there. And you know, we can kind of uh, question the goodness of God. But the reality is, you know, that's why we say presently, we are all, as Paul said, looking through a glass darkly. Our perspective in life and the situations that we encounter in life are limited. We're, we're somewhat, our vision is somewhat obscure. But God sees everything. He knows the beginning. He knows the end, the past, the present, the future. He knows all the variables that are surrounding a situation that you and I may not be able to perceive or see. That's why we say the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Why is this foundational? Because when I encounter those times where there's potential disappointment, I step back on my foundation. And I say, look, I don't understand it all right now at the moment, but this is what I, I do know. I know you're good. I know you do good. I know if you could have, you would have. So I'm just going to set this over here, and I'm going to keep walking. Everybody say God's good. Now, second attribute of his nature is that God is merciful. Aren't you glad? God is merciful. How many of you know what mercy is? Mercy, by definition, is love above what justice demands. Love above what justice demands. Aren't you glad all of us are recipients of the mercy of God and that we don't, don't get what we deserve? <laughs> the psalmist said in Psalm 86 and verse uh, 5, You, Lord, are good, yes, but now notice, ready to forgive, abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Man, he's not up there with a baseball bat. He is good. He's ready to forgive. <laughs> He's abundant in mercy. To who? To those who call upon Him. Right? The psalmist said in Psalm 103, verse 8 through 12, The Lord is merciful. He's gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us. Do you know what that means in the Hebrew? Finding fault. God is not sitting on his throne nitpicking our faults, our inadequacies, our shortcomings. Certainly we apply the word, we endeavor to grow, we do our best, amen. But he said he's not always finding fault. He has not dealt with us according to our sins or punished us according to our iniquities. As the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy to those who fear him, honor him, respect him, seek him. As far as the east is from the west. So that's a long way, guys. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. How did he do that? Through the precious blood of Jesus. Woo-wee! Isn't it wonderful to know God's not holding your trespasses against you? 
your past mistakes, your present inadequacies, when you and I come and receive His grace and His gift of salvation, and the Bible says confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's good news. Why is that important? Because it's impossible for you or me to have any sense of confidence or faith in God in our times of need if we think that we don't qualify, that He's angry, that He's resisting us. The Bible says if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. (laughs) But if your heart does not condemn you, because you understand this reality, then you have confidence in Him. Oh, and whatever you ask. Hallelujah. It's good. Now, that's not a license for just living the way you want to, right? But we understand our Father's merciful, and He's good. All right, here's the third one, and we're only doing four. The third one, God is faithful. Everybody say faithful. How many of you know what faithful means? Faithful means trustworthy, dependable. God in his very nature is trustworthy. He is dependable. You can count on him. How do you know? Because the Bible tells me so. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me give you another one. 2 Thessalonians 3 and 3. The Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. That's good news, isn't it? Now, I want to back up a minute because I missed something talking about the mercy of God. You know, the Bible says, is it 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 in the Amplified Bible? Backing up there. Uh, he said, uh, you know, God was personally present in Christ reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself, not counting up or holding against men their trespasses, right? We're talking about the mercy of God. Not counting up, holding against men their trespasses, but what? Canceling them, canceling them, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And guess what? That's God's word to us this morning. Is to the body of Christ. We've got to get this message of reconciliation out as expediently as we possibly can. I'm telling you, by the Spirit, things are accelerating. The time is short. How many of you are familiar with Kenneth E. Hagin? Anybody? Raise your hand if you're familiar. You've probably heard your pastor in different one. Uh, I traveled with him 11 years. Uh, he was a prophet and a teacher. Uh, had tremendous visitations of the Lord. But one specific uh, was in 1950. Talking about this message of reconciliation and the time we're living in. In uh, 1950, I don't have time to recount the whole vision, but I'll give you just one aspect of it. In one part of this vision, he was suspended in what appeared to be space because there wasn't a bird, a bush, a uh, uh, a life of any kind, just total darkness. And he said, off in the horizon, there was a, a, a speck of light, and it began to move toward him. He said, as it came closer, I could see uh, the outline of a horse. And then he said, as it drew even closer, I could clearly see there was a rider on the horse. And as this rider drew near to me, this is in the vision, he said, I could see he was uh, holding the reins of the horse in his right hand and a scroll uh, high above his head in his left hand. When he stopped, he handed me the scroll and he said, open and read, 1950. 
Brother Hagen said he opened the scroll, and at the top of the scroll uh, were the words war and destruction, some things pertaining to America specifically. But then four or five times in bold black letters were written these words, the time of the end of all things is at hand. The time of the end of all things is at hand. And then it went on the scroll, and, and these were the words. It says, as it was in the days of Noah, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. As I finally spoke to Noah and said, in yet seven days, I will cause it to rain upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights and will destroy every living thing that has been created upon the face of the earth. Even now, I'm speaking to this generation. That was 1950. Now listen. He said to Brother Hagin, warn this generation as Noah did his and tell them the time they have left is comparable to the last seven days of Noah prior to the flood. Now, I don't know if you're putting two and two together, and I'm not, I'm being somewhat speculative, but we did just enter, he said comparative. We just entered the seventh decade, 2020, since that vision, and did it enter with a bang? <laughs> it did. <laughs> Woo! He went on to say, judgments will come upon the earth, tell my people. But I'll take them out before the worst shall come. Woo! That's good news. Right? So I said all that to say, I really do believe we're in the time of the end. I believe things are accelerating. As a matter of fact, God speaks to me many times, uh, prophetically in my own personal times and with psalms and hymns and in services many times as well. And the word of the Lord came to me, not in the too distant past, and he said, the door that now stands open will soon begin to close as with swiftness and acceleration this final season goes. And yet there is a remnant that still must enter in. And once they've taken their place in the kingdom, then the time of sorrows will begin. So listen carefully to the Spirit because He speaks of things to come and let your hearts be strengthened. And let the Father's will be done by being mindful of His presence in every step you take. And by staying filled with the Spirit and impact in the lives of many you will make. And His presence will overtake you. And God's glory men will see. How many of you believe that? And Jesus will be glorified in you and in me. So the time's short. We've got a work to do. We need to do it expediently. We need to do it accurately, powerfully. Are you with me this morning? God is good. God is merciful. We need to let people know He is merciful. He's faithful. Let me give you the fourth and final. God is unchanging. Everybody say unchanging. That means He's steadfast. He's unwavering. God is not moody. You don't come to the throne room in one day and say, oh, Father, and he said, look, I've had too many this morning. No time for you. Never. He's very faithful, very unwavering, steadfast. How do we know? The Bible tells us so. James chapter 1 and verse 7, every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. 
James is speaking of the day of creation when God set the lights, the sun, the moon, the stars in the heavens. And though the lights may shift and change, though the sun may rise and set, God in his goodness, God in his mercy, God in his faithfulness never rises and sets. He's always the same. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, I am the Lord, I do not change. Aren't you glad this morning? Friends, listen, I said all this to say, I want to encourage you this morning, and I even hesitate to use the term unprecedented days because I'm not sure they're actually unprecedented. But I want you to, and God would have us, remember who you are. Remember to whom you belong. Remember in whom your trust rests. Have faith in God. Trust Him. Why? You're going to need it. We always do. But you're safe in His arms. Don't forget this message. Don't forget who He is. The relationship you share. His person, His character, His nature toward you as His kid. Amen? Everybody say, God's my Father. He's the supreme ruler of this universe. He has absolute power, ability, dominion. There's none above Him. There's none beside Him. There's none before Him. He alone is God. And I trust Him. Amen. Let's stand up this morning. I want us to wait just a moment in the presence of God, if you don't mind. Let's just lift our hands for a moment. If you'll start that track, I'd appreciate it. Let's just wait on the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Father, we love you. We bless you in this house. God, I thank you for every person that is in this place. Father, if there's a soul in this room that is not ready to meet you at your coming, I pray today, in the recesses of their heart, they will proclaim what is necessary, that Jesus is Lord, that they will seek the salvation that you're freely giving and be born again. We understand the times and the seasons in which we're living, Father. And although perilous for the world, they're glorious for us. And we find comfort. And we find strength. And we find determination in realizing that we belong to you. And that you have declared us sons and daughters and the body of Christ. So we worship you. Let's just worship him for a moment. Ore si fregere della napica. Ye papavere de mocons e baglesele de grons e pragrigi deli o de vadisco e sucare di mati. Elevezu varais jon. Elesto sicrase delle dobra. Ah! Oh my! Mondo sicita legi. Besto siatreke. Thank you, Lord.
I hear the Holy Spirit saying, things are not always as they seem, saith the Lord. You must learn to look beyond the immediate and the temporal to the eternal. For these are the things that will remain. This world in its present state is temporal. And all that facilitates its current operation will one day cease. And the eternal rule and realm and reign of Christ will ensue. So many are troubled in heart by the recent events that are unfolding in the world, and yet do you not see? Do you not realize that all things are working together for the ultimate culmination of my eternal plan and purpose? No man, no government, no king, nor prince, nor evil entity or force of darkness shall subvert my eternal plan. So let your hearts rest assured. In the midst of seeming darkness and chaos and confusion, the light still shines brightly and is overcoming the darkness at every hand. Do you not recall that I said in my word, He who endures to the end will be saved? And again, because you've kept my commandment to persevere, I will likewise keep you from the hour of trial that will come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell upon the earth. So stand your ground. Stand strong. Stand securely. Walk in the peace and the authority that belong to you as the body of Christ and boldly declare, all is well. All is well with me. All is well with my household. All is well with the body of Christ. For as it has been written, and declared by the Sovereign and the Eternal King, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So let your hearts be filled with comfort, with peace, with assurance, with confidence, for all is well saith the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, let's lift our hands to Him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This morning, if you came in with burdens, cares, concerns, I just want you to let those things go right now. Tell God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you, Lord. And just cast those burdens off. Cast those cares off. Thank you, Lord. And let His peace now just saturate you. Oh, we give you thanks. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We love you. Thank you, Jesus. Everything is going to be all right. For you, for your family, for your children, for your ministry, for your business. Thank you, Lord. And He can restore what's been lost and make it even better. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.